0: underdog podcast from sb nation and underdog dynasty welcome to another edition of the underdog podcast here on underdog dynasty.com sb nation's home for g5 football uh plenty to talk about within conference usa as we do on this edition of the show joe londergan here with you as always with my good buddy eric henry eric how's your weekend man how you doing
1: i'm doing all right man you know it was a uh Another kind of a you know spotty weekend for conference u s a football, so you know always fired up to talk about that, no matter the outcome,
0: but all in all, cannot complain, brother, how you doing uh pretty good as well, you know, not too many surprises this weekend on the conference u s a slate which is uh which I don't know made covering the weekend a little bit easier, I suppose I kind of knew what my thoughts were heading into things, and I'm sure most of the people on staff who were covering those games kind of went through the same situation um, in that regard. And, um, yeah, I was kind of looking over the results from this weekend and really there weren't really any, like what you would call upsets, at least as far as like how we kind of thought things would go down. Would you agree with that?
1: No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, there, there was, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this, when we start, you know, previewing the games and talking about uh, recapping, but the ODU game kind of, you know, made it intri- intriguing for a little bit, but then that kind of fell off. So yeah. Um, not too many upsets.
0: No, no, not at all. So we'll just jump into uh, the Louisiana Tech FIU game. Then uh, you were on the pregame show for that down there in 790. Down there on uh, on 790, rather in South Florida, uh, Texters came away with the win there, 43 to 31. Bulldogs pulled away in the fourth quarter. Huge day for running back Justin Henderson with 141 yards and three touchdowns. Good game back for uh, FIU quarterback James Morgan through the air and on the ground. But it just wasn't enough. Obviously, uh, Panthers are one and three to start the year. Tech are one and zero in conference play. So, uh, you know, obviously, I don't think too many people really thought this is where uh, FIU would be at this point in the season. But given what they've kind of put together over the last four weeks or so, it makes some sense if that makes any kind of sense. But it is good to see James Morgan back and healthy. I think. Yeah, so I'm going to quickly circle back to that point you made in a second.
1: But for those who may not have seen that game, there really were kind of like three pivotal turning points. And I'm someone who – I've even you know made this point to uh, those um, kind of FIU fans who, who were really upset with the officiating. But there's bad officiating in every game, so you can't really pin on that. However, there were two egregious calls. One, there was a huge missed uh, false start penalty where – Half of the players on the field, not just FIU players, but half of the La Tech players and FIU players essentially gave up on the play because they thought, like, yeah, this is getting blown back. Uh, The people who didn't give up were Jamar Smith and the receiver. I believe it was Stanley. I cannot remember, uh, especially off the top of my head. But they completed the pass for a touchdown, and, you know, pretty much, you know, half of the people on the field and on the sidelines are like, look, that's not getting called back. Um, So there was that. There was the first quarter Anthony Jones touchdown, which he leaped over the goal line. And, uh, you know, Joe, you normally you see guys extend with two hands uh, to kind of, you know, reach over the goal line, get the pylon, or, um, you know, break the, the uh, plane. Uh, Anthony kind of extended with one hand, and as a result, the ball got knocked out. The replays kind of showed that he did break the white uh, plane, but the referees kept it on the field as a touchback, so that happened. And then Jose Borregalas missed another field goal. So, you know, you kind of take that 17-point swing – and things could have gone a different direction for FIU. I mean, there's no doubt they left 10 points on the field. Uh, excuse me, left 14 points on the field just by virtue of the officials. That aside, the offensive line really kind of uh, broke down in the second half. They had a good first half protecting James, who, like you mentioned, you know, great to see him back on the field and, and producing. He did split uh, a few reps. It wasn't like a full quarterback rotation, but Kalen Wiggins did come in for a few specialized plays. Um, James, you could tell he wasn't fully healthy because he couldn't really step into. His passes as much as he'd like to, but it was good to see him back on the field. Um, but, yeah, man, you know, give all the credit to Tech because, you know, FIU's run defense in the second half really wore down. And I think that was a byproduct of playing, uh, I want to say it was like 91 plays that uh, FIU's defense was on the field for. The uh, Louisiana Tech's time of possession was over 37 minutes. So, you know, not to take anything away from Tech cause they they went out and won it and uh, give all the
0: credit to them. Yeah, absolutely. Good point about the uh, the calls there and the officiating. However, um, you do have to note that Tech's offense, particularly their running game, is looking uh, significantly better than I think we may, may have given it credit for in the offseason. We all kind of thought uh, Jamar Smith and, that, uh, and those receivers were going to be the, the stars of the show, so to speak. But so far through the first couple of weeks, it really feels like Louisiana Tech's rushing attack has kind of been the uh, the centerpiece of that offense. So, yeah, Joe, completely agree. You know, heading into the season, it kind of looked like uh,
1: it might be, you know, uh, kind of a weakness for La Tech. But you look at Israel Tucker, who missed last week, I believe he had the flu, some sort of illness. But Jaquist Dancy, you know, we all know what he can do on the ground. And then Henderson, you know, he kind of stepped up and and, had over 140 yards. But he kind of provides that change of pace, being a big bruising back uh, FIU, you know, routinely miss tackles on him just because he, he's just a big, you know, powerful guy to break down. So, yeah, I think if Tech can get the running game going, in addition to Jamar Smith and Adrian Hardy, once again, you know, I've been writing about it all season long. I think the West is going to be interesting. Uh, it's going to come right down to
0: the wire uh, between, you know, a couple of teams, La Tech, Southern Miss and North Texas. Yeah, that West definitely going to be the uh, entertaining battle. That uh, we all hoped it would be as the season starts winding down, but uh, plenty more football before we get to that point, obviously. Um, This past weekend, too, we had kind of a rare occurrence for any conference, but CUSA found themselves in a situation where they were playing the number one and number two team in the country on the same day. And uh, that went about as well as we all thought it would, unfortunately. Uh, Clemson 52, Charlotte tens. the first game uh, we should probably talk about here. I don't have too much to say, except that uh, Clemson uh, was just really in control the whole time. And uh, it's, it's tough to glean anything from the Charlotte side of things with these type of games. Uh, because, you know, Clemson being the defending champions that they are, uh, really, you know... It, It's funny. I was talking about this with uh, someone yesterday afternoon. Uh, Every once in a while you just have a a game where the uh, divide between the top of college football and, um, you know, I guess the middle of college football where most of CUSA is right now really shines through, and uh, that was this game. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, when talking about the Clemson game, I'm like, you don't have too much to really add on that. I mean, I saw a lot of the – um, Charlotte players and, you know, kind of the the 49er community on Twitter really fired up about the game. And I don't necessarily think they were fired up saying, Hey, you know, we're going to go into Death Valley and win more so that they were fired up just for the opportunity to be on a national stage and kind of prove themselves and see where they're at. And uh, I think they were able to do that. You know, we'll spin it forward to next week's games. I think this will be the one that they really should be fired up about, but, um, all things considered, you know, uh, we've seen, I think, what was it, Ohio State? There was a 75-6 to blowout. So, um, you know, it wasn't that kind of
0: um, lopsided victory for Clemson, and I think that's the positive takeaway there. Yeah, good takeaway there for the 49ers. Uh, what do you think about what happened to uh, Southern Miss against Alabama? Final score there, 49-7 to in favor of the Crimson Tide. Tua Tagovailoa throws for uh, five touchdowns again, second week in a row for him. Um, what'd you kind of think of the, uh, Golden Eagles performance in that game?
1: I mean, how hard can I really be on Southern Miss, right? You know, as you know, both was us cover Conference USA, and I'm sure we would have preferred a, a bit more of a, uh, respectable showing per se, but I mean, it's Bama. Um, I, it just goes to show. And I, you know, I'm totally not the person who believes in the whole, uh, P5, G5, uh, hierarchy, right? You know, I, I think there are plenty of G5 teams who can compete with P5 teams. But I think it just goes to show that, you know, the top end uh, P5 teams like in Alabama, like uh, a Clemson, there's just that much of a talent cap, and uh, it showed
0: on the field. That it did. Um, staying in the realm of P5 versus G5, um, we got one game this weekend that was uh, surprisingly competitive, and uh, it was on national television talking about the uh, UVA Old Dominion game. Uh Just an 11-point gap there, Virginia 28, Old Dominion 17. Through the first half, I thought Old Dominion looked pretty good. Uh, Stone smart, looked really comfortable uh, playing quarterback. Um, Not just kind of sitting in the pocket, but when it did break down, he used his legs pretty effectively, I thought, as well. Um, And they even outgained UVA. Uh, and they had the ball for longer. So it really kind of shows the progress that Old Dominion's making, I think, if you're able to do that against a top 25 team. Uh, However, the second half just looked like uh, kind of a different team, Uh, as did UVA, which is kind of how they were able to pull away there. Um, Really just had nothing as far as offensive side of the ball goes. Their possessions, Old uh, Old Dominion's possessions went, Pick six, punt, punt, turnover on downs, punt, turnover on downs, punt. So obviously if you want to be in it to win it at the very end of a game like that, you can't, you know, do that. You can't give a turnover that leads to a touchdown and then, uh, make basically no progress for the rest of that half.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think for me, the biggest takeaway was, you know, um, we can probably wait till mid-season before we do the whole, you know, hey, Jill, how do you feel about Team X, right? But um, I know that I didn't expect this kind of output from Bobby Wilder's team. And I think the question – I actually got this question from not only a couple of people on Twitter, but in the uh, FAU FIU group chat that I'm in. Uh, they were asking, you know, is ODU a legit team in the sense that they may, you know, contend for – uh, five six wins this year, or is this just you know kind of that game that they have where they're playing an in-state rival and they you know kind of rise to the occasion? I still am more of a uh, in the in the in the group that it's the latter and not the uh, the former. However, I was impressed that they didn't go in there and get blown out because I think just when you look on the field talent-wise, this year's ODU team is significantly less talented than last year's team. I don't think that's you know, break any news when you send guys like O'Shane Dimenez and John Duhart and Travis Fulton to the NFL. Um, so I was surprised that they were able to hang in there with, with Virginia Tech. And Bobby Waller said it after, after the game. He said, Hey, I, you know, I think I got a pretty good ball club this year. Uh, time will tell on that. But my major takeaway was that, you know, they hung in there well and that exceeded my expectations.
0: Yeah, for sure. If they can A, play a complete game, and to play a complete game at the level that they played in the first half against Virginia on Saturday against some of their uh, Conference USA competition coming up here, then this might turn out to be a much better team than I think we all anticipated. So uh, definitely worth keeping keeping an eye on over the next couple of weeks, I think. Um, another. Uh, let's move into some of the games that weren't as close as uh, some of these other games, unfortunately, for the uh, football-viewing public. Uh, UAB 35, South Alabama 3. Big, big day for UAB on offense. 514 yards, dominated the time of possession. And uh, really, had they not turned the ball over twice, it would have been an even bigger blowout. So, you know, obviously, playing a team like USA, not exactly the top of the Sun Belt Conference, um, but obviously some good things to take away for UAB there. And namely a, when Tyler Johnson's on, then that is a really good sign for them. And uh, Spencer Brown looks like he's waking up a little bit. I think he's been kind of underwhelming through the first few weeks of the year. And um, I think him being, you know, on, in the sense that, you know, in the way that Tyler Johnson is, I think that's the difference between, you know, them being an okay team and possibly even, you know, Getting back to the place where they have an opportunity to repeat as conference champs?
1: Yeah. Uh, the major thing for me in terms of Spencer Brown being down, I think that is a byproduct of the quarterback play being somewhat inconsistent in the sense that, not that Tyler Johnson's been inconsistent this year, he's off to a great start. However, uh, last year, teams didn't really respect A.J. early's ability to act as a passer. And obviously that, you know, kind of resulted in a lot of uh, seven, and eight man fronts for UAB. I think it's the same thing this year, right? The idea was to make Tyler Johnson beat you. We're not going to let Spencer Brown beat you because he's a proven commodity. Well, now that Tyler Johnson has proven himself as someone who, you know, is really taking that step and is emerging kind of that guy, um, we saw that potential from him in the uh, Boca Raton game. I think it's, you know, just look out for this UAB offense, right? You know, because if they can get that going, the receivers are stepping up. And then a guy who always goes under the radar, Joe, is defensive tackle Garrett Moreno. I mean, he's just, you know, UAB plays that three-four front, so the defensive tackle isn't going to put up, you know, gaudy numbers like 40 tackles and, you know, like seven or eight sacks. But Moreno's just always in the opposing team's backfield. I want to say off the top of my head, he has 17 or 18 tackles for loss uh, in his three seasons at UAB, which – Coming from that, you know, um, nose guard technique is, is huge. So if they can get that going, um, the defense, given all the graduations they had last year, and the schedule sets up really nicely for UAB, uh, I agree with you. This could be a team that
0: you could see, once again, contending in the West. Would be a sight to see for sure. Uh goes back to what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago with uh, that Conference USA West battle. Uh, hopefully we will get really entertaining as the season, uh, you know, winds down and, and gets closer to the championship game. Um, Florida Atlantic didn't have too much trouble against Wagner this past weekend. 42 to seven was the final there. Five touchdowns for Chris Robinson. four of them to D'Angelo Antoine. Uh, second week in a row, Robinson has shown some great chemistry with a single receiver. And with that performance, he's uh, leading the league in passing touchdowns actually with 10 total uh, Wagner, not a good team right now, clearly. Uh, so can't get too caught up in it. But the Owls do seem like they're in a good spot after the last two weeks.
1: Yeah, just you know, a couple quick takeaways from that one. You know, not to sound repetitive like a broken record, but I think I said this last week about Chris Robinson. Um, if he's turned the corner, I mean, Robinson just has that. That I mean, it's it's easy to forget that the guy was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. You know, he signed with Oklahoma. So he's got that type of talent, you know. We saw the inconsistency from him last year, but if he can turn it on and really be that guy which was potential coming out of high school, look out. And then D'Angelo Antoine, the uh, late transfer from USF, uh, our buddy Jay Coleman from the Palm Beach Post kind of focused on him this week in the sense that he kind of came out of nowhere to catch four touchdowns. Uh, And if he can uh, be an added dimension to the FIU, FIU, to the FAU offense, sorry about that, Shula Bowl fans, to the FAU offense, you know, guys like John Mitchell, uh, just, you know, that just gives another dimension uh, in the wide receiver room. So all in all, great win for FAU uh, and especially those get
0: fired up a conference play. So uh, good to see you there. I mean, I guess I should expect to be surprised by a Lane Kiven offense at this point in my life, but it is it is kind of funny given the, uh, the turnaround we've seen of FAU's offense in the last couple of years to being one that kind of revolved around the running back from the Devin Singletary years to now it's kind of seeming like you know, that passing game is really their strong point. So I just, I think that change is kind of interesting with that. Then we'll go ahead and move on to Baylor and Rice, Uh, Baylor 21, Rice 13, really good defensive day for Rice. Actually Uh, we're really competitive. And that's, I think what a lot of us wanted to see out of a COSA team going up against a, uh, a power five offense. That's been really impressive through this early chunk of the season. And you know it's it's unfortunate for rice that they've had as tough a schedule as they've they've had the last uh few weeks cuz you got to think if they had, you know, an fcs team or uh you know, something akin to that on their schedule in this early part of the year they would probably have a win by now.
1: Yeah, that's actually a good point. It's not something I had thought of. Uh I just had been looking at it from the perspective that, you know, something I've kind of focused on all season long. Even going back to last year, this team really plays hard for Mike Bloomgren. And I believe it was Chris Benini of The Athletic, their G5 writer, uh, you know, does a phenomenal job covering G5 football as a whole for them. He asked the question, is Rice the best 0-4 team out there? Now, obviously, you know, there's no real way to measure that, but it comes back to the point you talked about when you look at their schedule, right? They haven't had any, you know, easy games per se. But the fact that they've been in it, you know, all season long, uh, I, I think is a good thing. And... For if you're a Rice fan, I think the major thing you have to look out for is just, in order for them to turn the corner, it's going to take that one win, right? You know, it's going to take that instead of this being a 21-13 Baylor win, it's going to take that being a 21-13 Rice win, because obviously, as much as you can buy into what Mike Bloomgren is selling as a player, you know, you need that that satisfaction, that you know, confirmation that what you're doing is correct with the victory. So as soon as they can get those victories going, I,
0: I think you know it's really look out for the program as a whole. Yeah, I think um, obviously we've uh, we can't expect too much out of their pass game, even the amount of injuries they've had at at the quarterback spot and at the receiver spot, um, you know, up to this point in the year. But I think one kind of you know a big thing that they need to kind of improve on moving forward is the uh, pass blocking, because if you look at the uh, sacks total for the league right now they're towards the bottom with 10 and uh, the highest total is uh is 12 which three teams are tied for that honor but i think if uh if they want to kind of get you know it, as good as they've looked at points through these uh these first four games um you know obviously some still work left for them to do and uh but who knows as the conference play starts up here they might even look uh, they might even look like they're uh, set for a win against a conference opponent here if, if they can get some of these pain points, uh, you know, improved, I guess. Um, we'll stay in the state of Texas then for this next one with uh, North Texas and UTSA. Mean Green win that one, 45-3. Uh, no Frank Harris for UTSA, and we kind of saw how much of a difference that made. Uh, you know, Eric, as you've said many times, you uh, Harris was going to be critical to this team's success. And um, like I said, we got to look, we got a taste of what they look like without him. UN team, meanwhile, had a a pretty good balanced offensive attack for 501 total yards. They're 1 0 in conference play now. And uh, one thing I wanted to know obviously, we've spent. So much time in this offseason talking about what to expect from Mason White senior season or Mason Fine rather Mason Fine's senior season, and with good reason. However, uh, quietly, if you look at uh, average yards per game, uh, Trey Siggers, UNT running back, is uh, leading the league with 131 yards per game, which is uh, a good little total for a uh, running back in an offense that we all expected to be extremely pass heavy.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, Trey Seekers kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, but uh, if he can provide a one-two punch in the running game, I mean, with DeAndre Torrey, that's, you know, just an an added dimension to the uh, North Texas attack. So, you know, I I think, and personally, I think I'd even be more of a fan of a more balanced attack, and not that you want to take the ball out of Mason Fine's hands per se, but, you know, I I think personally, I'm just, I'm more of a fan of a little bit more of of a balanced attack with the spread there. Uh, So that's a major takeaway from North Texas. As far as UTSA, yeah, I mean, you can't expect much when Frank Harris, two plays into the game, goes down. And, you know, his status is kind of week to week. But, um, uh, unfortunately, if you're a Roadrunner fan, right, it just feels like that one glimmer of hope, you know, um, well, I I shouldn't say one because you have guys like Cinsere McCormick and Brendan Brady. But at the quarterback position, that one glimmer of hope that's like, all right, this isn't going to be a carbon copy of last year. Uh, It's potentially down. down.
0: right yeah it's uh it's going to be an interesting ride for them as they kind of go into the year and for as much trouble as they've had the last 3 weeks or so um they're they're one and know in conference play so obviously uh, overall their their chances haven't been hurt too much uh given how much uh how much trouble they've had but a uh, good place for them to be in um, and finally we will stay in the state of Texas for this last game between Nevada and UTEP Wolfpack winning that one 37 to 21 pretty sloppy game overall. I don't know if you had a chance to catch any of this one, Eric, uh, five turnovers overall was the number there. Um, and honestly had UTEP not kind of fallen apart a little bit in the fourth quarter, it might've been even closer um, but one thing I'll say about the miners, the improvement is definitely starting to show, um, you know, like we talked about with Rice, uh, specifically Trevon Hughes is looking really solid at running back in the wake of, uh, you know, having to step up to fill that spot, um, particularly in short yarded situations. He's, he's looked uh, really great. Uh, obviously, not a win, but some good news for the miners with his performance. And uh, another, one more note about Hughes: he's now leading the league in rushing touchdowns with six. So, something to hang your hat on there if you're a miners fan, I guess.
1: Yeah, you kind of rolled right into what I was going to mention because yes, you know, and I did get a chance to catch some of this game. Uh, I I, I kind of I really like catching games from the Sun Bowl. I mean, it's just a gorgeous venue, so I always kind of make a point to catch some of that live. But my major takeaway, Joe, is maybe I'm being, you know, optimistic here. If Quadra's Wadley isn't hurt, you got to wonder if the one-two combination of Hughes and Wadley wouldn't have been enough to get this team uh, a victory by at this point, you know, or or, or maybe, you know, maybe not a victory, uh, uh, another victory at this point because they've already got one, but, you know, maybe kind of their season outlook be a little more uh, optimistic on offense because clearly the passing game isn't there yet, right? You know, between Brandon Jones and Kyle Oxley, and Dana Dimel said it that you know coming up we're still going to do a quarterback rotation. We believe Brandon gives us the best chance to win, but uh, and that's a direct quote. But uh, we're going to see both guys play. But just the running back attack, man. If they can get that going, I I I think that's huge. They haven't had to you know break uh, uh, emergent break glass in case of emergency as far as Deion Hankins goes. So I think that's huge as well. But yeah, I mean it's just a matter of you see just like UTSA right? You kind of see those little things or excuse me just like Rice you kind of see those little things working and that they're getting those small victories. But eventually, you know, you got to see, you know, at least three, four victories, but get put on the board. So as a player, you can really kind of take that and say, Hey, all our hard work is manifesting into something.
0: Right. Yeah. And I feel like you kind of need that if you're in the position that all these UTEP guys uh, are in, especially the ones like the seniors and the juniors who have been around for the, uh, the really troubling times. So that's, that's good to see that they are at least uh, making progress given their situation. And uh, you know, who knows, maybe they'll be in a little bit closer of a game as the year goes on here. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some picks for next week. Then as we keep moving along here, uh, middle Tennessee wrapping up the particularly brutal part of their schedule, really just whole non-conference schedule this year has been uh, really just tough to watch. Um, not for their, you know, lack of good level of opponents they've been faced with, but that wraps up this week in Iowa city as the blue Raiders face number 14, Iowa at noon Eastern on ESPN two. Hawkeyes favored by 24. Um, I'd say that's fair. Hawkeyes are the pretty easy pick here. Um, so hopefully the, uh, you know, the blue Raiders get one last little, um, beat down at the hands of a, uh, high level power five opponent, not just any power five team, uh, before they head into conference, uh, conference USA schedule here, which, you know, again, we've talked about this, but NTSU has got to be proud of the, uh, the fight that they're putting up against some of these teams. And now that they've been, you know, for lack of a better term, like, you know, baptized by blood, so to speak, it's, it's going to be, you know, they're going to be an interesting team once conference play starts here.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as the uh, level of Middle Tennessee State's fight, that's what you come to expect from a Rick Stockstill' coach team. You know, you know that Rick Stockstill isn't gonna go out there and lose eighty to zero. But with that being said, this is the final stretch of that, you know, uh, power five, you know, kind of just gauntlet that we knew that they were gonna face heading into the year. So. Uh, just my major things, just no injuries. You know, I, I want to see Middle Tennessee kind of be as healthy as possible as they go into conference play, and we'll see how well they can
0: fight. But I do think the the spread there is about accurate as far as what the final score will be. Again, you can catch that one on ESPN two. Uh, this next one you can catch on NFL Network, and that is uh, Charlotte hosting FAU at 3:30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Um, I think this is going to be a really fantastic game for a couple of reasons. Um, I think both these programs have kind of had some issues in the past couple of years. Um, I think they're really in a similar place as far as talent level. And that's really evidenced by the spread here with uh, Charlotte being the favorite by one point. Um, This is a tough call, really. But uh, it, it, it just all comes down to how the two best offensive players in this game feel that day being Chris Robinson of FAU and Benny LeMay. Um, you know, and honestly in my head, it, it's coming down to a coin flip, but if I had to go with my gut, I'm just going to say FAU because I've been really, really impressed with how well Chris Robinson's been playing and how comfortable he's looked as a passer the last two weeks. And uh, you know, I don't think Charlotte's looked bad, obviously, but I think uh, they're, the Owls are just riding a little bit more positive momentum right now.
1: I casually mention this from time to time for those of you listening. Joe and I do not do this in the same location. He's in Oregon and I'm in Florida. And I mention that because it's always amazing how many times we'll be exactly on the same page with our thoughts of games. Because uh, that's literally what I have in my notes, right? I think it's going to come down to you know the stars in this one, the two best players and Chris Robinson and uh, Benny LeMay for Charlotte. Personally, uh, the matchup that I'm really looking forward to seeing is Alex Highsmith versus the FAU offensive line, because I think if he can pressure Robinson and get in his face, then that could be the difference maker. I have Charlotte winning this one just because I think Benny LeMay is uh, – and this isn't to take the thing away from Chris Robinson. I think Benny LeMay might be the best offensive player in conference. Uh, you know, If you've listened to this podcast since last year, you know what a fan of I am of his game. And uh, I think he's ready to break out. You know, especially coming off a, a game like Clemson, where you know you're not really going to get the yards you want to. He's coming back to playing a, a conference USA opponent at home. What I think will, will be the game of the week. I think it will be the tightest game but in conference, and I think Charlotte takes a close one. But I think Benny is going to make the difference.
0: Yeah, you know it. It is funny that we kind of had the same note on that game, but. Uh, if you have a DVR folks, it's made for these kind of games, make sure you do everything in your power to kind of watch that game. Um, but with that, then we'll move on to talking about Marshall hosting Cincinnati. Uh, always seems to be a really quality game when these two teams play each other. Um, you can catch that one at uh, 5 PM Eastern on CBS sports networks, Facebook page, uh, obviously a mouthful, but that's where you can watch it. Um, probably be a link on underdog dynasty as the week, uh, wears on. So check out the site to find where you can watch that. Um, but I digress. I think UC is just a little bit better of a team right now. I think they're a little bit more of a, uh, consistent team. Um, you know, Isaiah green's coming along nicely, but I just think, you know, UC seems to have really some strong defensive lines the last couple of years, um, and it's looking like this is going to be uh, another one of those teams that fits that archetype. So I think uh, they're going to take this game against Marshall here.
1: Yeah, for me, the biggest thing, you know, if you're a Conference USA fan, I think if you're a fan of FAU, if you're a Charlotte fan, if you're a middle fan, you know, hell, if you're an FIU fan and you think there's some somewhere they will on the table, uh, this is the game you want to watch just because I think this can really set the mark as to where Marshall is this year. So if they're able to go in and beat Cincy, you know, they have them at home, but if they can beat a Cincy team that I think is better than them, uh, I think Michael Warren the second and Desmond Ritter will make the difference It just uh, – when you have two dynamic players like that on offense, especially a quarterback and a running back, that should make the difference. But if Isaiah Green can rise to the occasion and Brendan Knox can rise to the occasion – uh, I don't know if we know Obi-Obiano's status yet. That would be something to keep an eye on. But if they can get this victory, I think that kind of sets the, the idea that, hey, uh, this is really Marshall's year as far as Conference USA is concerned. But if they can't or, you know, if, if it's a decisive loss for them, then if you're a fan of those other teams, you got to be like, all right, you know, this is kind of open up for us. So that's my major takeaway. Uh, as far as a pick goes, I'm leaning towards Cincy as well.
0: Yeah, all solid points. Uh, CoSA East getting more and more interesting as the teams that we uh, thought would have a really decent shot at the title uh, continuing to kind of show, uh, you know, show their weaknesses, so to speak, as this in this young part of the season. Um, with that, then we'll head a little bit south to Norfolk with Old Dominion hosting East Carolina at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. Uh, you know what? If Old Dominion can play like they did against Virginia, then I'm picking them. East Carolina, not, you know, obviously they're, they've had some higher totals in most categories when you compare them to Old Dominion. However, they're a two and two team, and their two wins came against FCS opponents. And, uh, you know, and even those were against FCS teams that aren't exactly, you know, at the top of that level of football right now. So, um, Old Dominion's one win obviously was against an FCS team as well, but I've been more impressed with their improvement over the last couple of weeks, uh, more so than I have uh, East Carolina. So the line for that game is uh, Old Dominion by three, and um, I think that's probably what it's going to come down to or something close to it anyway. So, yeah, give me uh, Stone Smart and the uh, Monarchs in this one. Yeah, it's funny, right? You know, to kind of piggyback off the points I made, Uh,
1: In the ODU recap of the Virginia Tech game, uh, the Virginia game, excuse me, this is the game entering the year. I would have chosen ECU automatically just because I thought that ODU really was going to struggle. And when you look at East Carolina, you know, my kind of outlook for them heading into the year really was dependent upon how quarterback Holden Aylers was going to progress in his second year in the system, and he's still very inconsistent. I think he's completing about 54% of his passes, very much a threat on the ground as a runner like he was last year, but he hasn't put it all together as a passer. So with that being said, uh, I think there's a really fair chance that Bobby Wilder's club can win. Uh, Stone smart, you know, really starting to, um, I don't want to say come into his own, but he's looking a little more secure as the guy. And, you know, excuse me for not mentioning this guy's name uh, in our recap of the Virginia game, but Keon Davis. Uh, That guy, the defensive end for ODU, just had a heck of a game. And uh, if he can take
0: over like he did last week, I I believe that ODU will win. It's going to be a really, really fascinating game on ESPN Plus there. Uh, Staying on ESPN Plus for these next couple of games. First, Southern Miss hosting UTEP at uh, 7. Yeah, 7, that's what I said. Um, (laughs) USM the favorite by 26 there. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Jack Abraham has been, uh, probably the best quarterback in the CUSA up to this point. Obviously a lot of football left. Uh, if Kez Watkins can go, then, uh, yeah, Southern Miss's offense should be as high powered as ever. And, um, while we just got done talking about the improvement that UTEP has showed, um, you know, obviously USM can just put up points at a much, much faster pace than UTEP can, uh, them leaning on the running game heavily right now. so. I think Southern Miss is a pretty easy pick in this one.
1: Yeah, really quick before I get to the Southern Miss game, I just don't want any OD fans to be upset. Uh, I had a flashback to last year. Keon Davis was a running back for Marshall. Keon White is defensive end. With that being said, uh, I no real pushback from, from me here. I think, you know, especially if Quez Watkins is there and in And Jack Abraham, you know, I, I really got to shout him out because he was the guy who I was really um, – I don't want to say not sold on. I just thought that how high people were kind of ranking him I thought was a little bit unproven because, you know, he he hadn't exactly kind of, you know, won the job outright last year, but he certainly won the job outright this year and is playing, you know, just a great quarterback uh, play from him. So Southern Miss should roll here. I mean, they're a complete team. Just want to see the defense put together a complete performance, but, yeah, I've got Southern Miss. <laughs> All right. We're in agreement
0: on that one. Then next up, we got Western Kentucky hosting UAB at seven Eastern also on ESPN plus Blazers are favored by three here. I think that's fair. I think they're a safe pick. Um, you know, like we talked about in the early part of the show, when that offense is on, it's on, uh, the scoring defense has been, uh, really, really solid this year. I believe they're the number one team in that category so far. Uh, Yes, number one scoring defense in CUSA up to this point, averaging only uh, 14 points allowed per game so far. And uh, on the Western Kentucky side, you know, first off, uh, Stephen Duncan out for the year, unfortunately, with that cracked bone in his foot. Uh, Starting quarterback on that side, probably going to be a game time decision, according to the Bowling Green Daily News. So interested to see if they go with uh, David Shanley or Ty Story. Uh, as much as I want them to go with Guevara Thomas, they probably won't, but that's okay. Um, yeah, they've just kind of looked spotty in all the other aspects of their game, unfortunately, to this point in the year. So there's just not too much to really lean on as far as, um, you know, assuming that they're going to be on their best. Uh, so with that, I'm, I'm sticking with UAB as the pick. Yeah, you know, no disagreement here. I just think UAB is going to be too
1: much. You know, the guys you mentioned before, uh, Spencer Brown, Tyler Johnson III, Garrett Moreno, you know, it's just amazing that this team is is really kind of, you know, finding their own here. And that's without Bronte Harris, you know, their star cornerback is out for the year. Uh, All the things you mentioned on the
0: Western side are nothing I can push back on. So we're in agreement there. Uh, I think UAB should roll. And uh, with that, we'll go to Rice and Louisiana Tech at 7 p.m. Eastern, ESPN three. Uh, Tech favored by ten. Uh, I think it'll be a little bit, uh, a little bit bigger of a spread than that. Um, I've really liked what I've seen out of Louisiana Tech's offense, like I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, and while Rice's defense has been solid, and um, you know, I think they have a decent shot to get a couple of wins before the year is out, especially against conference opponents. I don't think it's going to be this game. And uh, that would obviously be a uh, a big shot to Tech's hopes to kind of contend for the division as well. So um kind of expecting a, a little bit better of a day from Jamar Smith, uh, probably a little bit worse day from the rushing attack, given what we've seen from Rice's defense so far. But, uh, yeah, I think Tech's the safe pick here.
1: Same here. I do think that Tech uh, at the end of the day will win. Just looking forward to – you know, the same things I've talked about as far as that fight from Rice and piggyback from the point I was making earlier, you know, this is a game that if they can win, I think it has that potential to really kind of, you know, get things steamrolling in the right direction for my, Mike Bloomgren's club. Uh, however, yeah, I just think Tech has too much, especially with the emergence of the run game. Adrian Hardy, uh, Jamar Smith, you know, Willie Baker's duo for a for a breakout game as well, uh, Mick Robertson. So it's just way too much talent on the Tech side. I think they'll get the victory.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're in agreement on that one. Then now, this next one is a little bit tricky, but uh, I think I feel comfortable picking the USA side. Talking about North Texas and Houston in Denton, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern is going to be the kickoff time on that one. Uh, don't have the TV information right in front of me, unfortunately, but um, been really impressed with uh, North Texas's running game. Like I've said, Houston, I feel like has been right there all. All year, and just haven't really been able to pull off like a signature win yet. Um, but yeah, I think North Texas just has a little bit more positive momentum heading into this game. Uh, Trey Siggers, like we mentioned, playing really well. Um, and yeah, I think I'm pretty comfortable picking uh, UNT in this game actually. <laughs>
1: uh I, i'm laugh joe because i mean like uh, the events of the week right is we don't know who you know houston they're essentially you remember when we we're kids joe and like you're playing your friend in madden and you're losing you're like screw this i'm just gonna hit the reset button so you can't win we'll just reset and run it back i feel like that's exactly what you know a lot of the houston players are doing like are king's like yeah i'll just come back in 2020 um right i <laughs> i i, I I'm legitimately torn because I think that Houston has enough talent to win. Unfortunately, we don't know enough about the quarterback situation in terms of at any actual substance because D.R. King is such a stud. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I, I was torn thinking about this before we started taping this. And uh, I think I'm going to go with North Texas. I just think that Houston is in such flux. It'd be kind of, you know, if you're a Houston fan, nice for them to kind of put everything aside and and get a great victory, especially against an in-state team. But uh, I think I'm going to take North Texas. I mean, there's just too much going on. You don't know who's going to play. So that would be an interesting one to watch, 7 p.m. on CBS Sports Network.
0: Yeah, it would definitely be uh, one of the bigger wins of uh, Seth Luttrell's tenure, really, as far as non-conference wins go. So definitely looking forward to seeing who comes out on top in that one. Uh, before we start wrapping the show up, just wanted to say thank you all again so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, uh, check us out on Spotify as well. And um, if you have the time, we'd really appreciate a review. That uh, that really helps us grow as far as all the uh, algorithms are concerned and uh, would like to obviously keep doing this show for a while. So, uh, you know, tell our bosses that you like it if you do. would appreciate it. Um you can follow us on Twitter at Joe underscore is me. Eric is at Eric C Henry underscore. And of course at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter for the uh the sites page. Um, like I'm on Facebook as well, and check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more uh G5 football goodies throughout the year. Uh happy football watching everybody and uh falls here. We did it. Hooray.